You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast presented by Sling. Watch the Euro 2024 qualifiers next week on Sling, including Malta against England, Norway against uh, Scotland, France against Greece, and Iceland versus Portugal. All of them available on Sling. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. In today's episode, we discuss the gigantic news that Leo Messi is heading to Major League Soccer and into Miami. Everything counts in large amounts, Kartik. Um, First of all, before we dive into everything, what's your initial take on, on this news? Yeah, obviously it's massive. I yeah, I, I kind of wonder if MLS would have preferred uh, a, a star of Messi's stature in New York or Los Angeles, because that's the way American sports executives think. I just uh, still can go back to when LeBron James signed in Miami instead of going to New York uh, or Los Angeles at the time. He ended up in Los Angeles eventually. The anger, like the, the nastiness that those of us in South Florida were subjected to for years after that, that, you know, you're provincials, you're uh, in the hinterland, why, uh, which we're not really, but, uh, you know, the biggest stars should be in the biggest cities that's that's what it's about um you know they they masked it saying oh they didn't like the way lebron announced but it was because he came to miami instead of new york so i wonder in the back of the minds of some mls executives if they would have preferred he signed with nycfc or lafc but for the league as a whole it's massive right because whether he signs in new york or miami uh he's still going to have those away dates at the same very same places right cincinnati kansas city places where they've already sold out tickets uh for the matches uh, upcoming matches against Inter Miami, so I think it's huge from the from the league for the league from an overall uh, profile standpoint. Uh, but again, you know, as someone from South Florida, someone who's been through this, who, someone who's been through the condescension, and it, it, it happens in soccer as well. Uh, uh, I, I, I do think that maybe if MLS was completely in control of events, Messi would be on Red Bull or on NYCFC. Yeah, we'll get into that. A little bit more in a little bit too, because uh, we're both based in Florida, so we can give that local perspective. Kartik is about 15 minutes away from the stadium where uh, Messi will be playing in Fort Lauderdale. But but to me, like this, this is such a huge deal because I mean, one signature changes everything. With Messi agreeing to sign for Inter Miami in Major League Soccer, uh, the world's number one soccer star completely changes MLS in an instant. Empty seats at stadiums, no more. Disappointing number of people signing up for MLS season pass. Uh, not anymore either. Having few reasons to watch a relatively meaningless season, as we've been talking about, gone. And then will this silence the uproar from the majority of soccer fans uh, about Major League Soccer not having promotion and relegation? And I would argue for the time being, absolutely yes. So, t- so to me, this Messi signing is transformative for a number of reasons. Uh, we'll get into a lot of those pro- pros and some cons uh, in a little bit too, because yes, hard to believe as it may be for some, uh, there are there are negatives uh, with this uh, th- this deal. Uh, of course, the the positives are, are far outnumber uh, the negatives. So I think what you'll get from us listeners, uh, both Kartik and I, is reality. And, and not the sensationalism or hype that you might be seeing in other parts of uh, U.S. media. For instance, Kartik, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but there were a couple of over-the-top things that U.S. soccer media 
said this week in regards to the Messi news. The first one is a quote. Uh, I would compare it to Beatlemania. And then the second one is, this is going to be the Beatles reforming playing, playing across our nation. As a Beatles fan yourself, Kartik, a massive Beatles fan, uh, what do you think when you hear those things? Well, that's way over the top. Although I have to say, because of the way the transfer market is in Europe, and now you're seeing the high wage players, forget transfer fees, right? A lot of clubs can pay high transfer fees, but high weekly wage players can only go to six or seven clubs in, in the entirety of Europe. And I think uh, one of the Champions League finalists, Inter, uh, is out of that uh, race now. They've got all kinds of financial problems, even if they win tomorrow. So um, MLS is going to get more guys. They're going to be able to kind of construct superstar bands of players, potentially, if they're willing to put the money up. Um, so we might see kind of a Beatles uh, Beatles band of footballers, soccer players uh, in MLS, but it's not just with Messi, right? That's way over the top about this one player. But you could see a number of other guys uh, come to MLS based on the fact that there are very few top European clubs that can top play, pay uh, market wages, really what the free market dictates in terms of wages for uh, outstanding footballers, elite footballers right now. However, some of those names being uh, bandied around in media uh, this week includes uh, Luis Suarez, uh, Angel Di, Di Maria, uh, Sergio Busquets. So these are players not in their prime, right? They're towards the end of their careers. And for them, this would be a fantastic opportunity to be in front of uh, you know, massive fans playing with Messi again, uh, kind of bringing back the good times on, on all, almost like a, a farewell tour, it would feel like. So there's the opportunity here to bring in some really star players. Um, I, I'm just concerned about that kind of, and yes, Messi's still... He's what thirty five. He's going to be thirty six later this year, uh, later this month. Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, st- still very fit, still um, producing at that at a high level. Not 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 his highest level in terms of his own personal stats. But by by the way, I just just want to interject here that David Beckham, when he signed at MLS, was thirty one. So MLS has developed this wrong reputation of, as a retirement league in, in Europe. But Beckham was thirty one and had several good seasons left. So good that uh, AC Milan took him on loan twice, right? Because he was playing at such a high level uh, at that point in MLS. Messi is older. He is going to be five, four and a half, basically four and a half, five years older when he starts in MLS than when Beckham did. So just keep that in mind. Nobody is mentioning that these last 48 hours. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, too. I think with you and I, Kartik, we will give us uh, give the listeners our uh, honest feedback in terms of this deal, which to me is I mean, a landmark deal for Major League Soccer. This is massive uh, for the league, and, and we'll get more into that in a little bit, too. But um, I don't think you'll get the hype or the over-sensationalism uh, that you'll get in other media. We'll give it to you uh, as as we feel it. And, and we've gone through this before too. We've seen, I mean, so we've seen Beckham come into Major League Soccer. Um, we've seen the ESPN broadcast when they had the Beckham cam. We've gone to reporters, as reporters, as journalists, uh, to the games in Miami with Ronaldo and Messi, and, and seen firsthand uh, how <laughs> how crazy it can get uh, behind the scenes. Um, but you will get us. You will get the the honest uh, truth here in terms of uh, this deal. 
So let's go through, first of all, let's go through kind of the, the pros and cons <clears throat> or the, the winners and the losers uh, from this messy deal. And um, I'll go through my list, Kartik, and, and feel free to uh, uh, chime in or if you have additional ones. But, the, but the, the winners in this one, to me, it suddenly makes the league, Major League Soccer, a must watch for many people, not all people, but many people to see Messi play. So, you mean, two weeks ago, if you asked the average soccer fan in the world, you mean, watching watch Major League Soccer, it was lower down on their priority list in terms of other leagues from around the world. It will make Major League Soccer, or at least the Inter Miami games to start with, um, for many people, a must watch where in the, in the past they would have just, would have just, bypassed it would have skipped it the second one in this is is uh obviously major league soccer um the the deal that they have with apple tv the mls season pass the signups um the expectations are that will go through the roof uh i mean it has to right if you want to watch uh, all of the games uh, featuring Messi playing for inter miami the best way is to, to subscribe to apple uh apple's uh, mls season pass uh, not all games are on television. Actually, only a, a small select few games are on television. So for MLS Season Pass, this is, this is, and we'll we'll get into this in a little bit too. But this is a a huge huge accomplishment there. Third of all, and and this is something Kartik that maybe a few months ago, uh, Fox Sports, uh, a lot of people were looking at them, going, okay, what are they doing? I mean, did they pay anything for the TV rights to Major League Soccer? Uh, what were they thinking? And then they were really just uh, m- mailing it in uh, r- in terms of the coverage, having, you mean, two guys flying, flying from Los Angeles to, to Florida, calling, uh, you mean, basically calling the game from, from a, a closet. And, and the actual look and feel of what they were producing in terms of the production looked, I mean, looked like high school uh, football uh, TV coverage. Now, all of a sudden, Fox is looking at this going like, holy cow, right? A game on over-the-air Fox Network, or FS1, whatever it may be, those TV ratings might be some of the biggest, if not some of the, the biggest ever for Major League Soccer for a single game. That, that's a huge plus for Fox Sports. So, so now they're looking like geniuses uh, as opposed to a few months ago where people were thinking like, hey, what are they thinking? What are they doing? And, and then, of course, merchandise sales, I mean... I mean, every kid uh, is going to want that, that likes Messi. That that's you mean just enthralled by this will want to get uh, Messi shirts. Uh, ticket sales. We've already seen how that's had an impact nationwide, uh, both home and away games, and such a huge pent up demand to get tickets. Um, you look at just the Argentine community alone in the United States, and how how crazy they will go to get tickets to these games. And that's just the one community. And you expand beyond that. You look at the, uh, the Spanish language, Hispanic community in the United States. You look at uh, uh, Anglo, you mean soccer fans. You look at um, kids who wear messy t-shirts, who play travel soccer or club soccer, you mean rec soccer, going to school, wearing those shirts. And now all of a sudden we'll want to go to see these games through the roof. And then last but not least, from my list at least, League's Cup. I mean, League's Cup now <laughs> all of a sudden has gone from, okay, hey, this is going to be really interesting to, you mean, oh my gosh, we have to watch this. Partly because the possibility, there's no guarantee yet, the possibility is that Messi could play 
uh, against Cruz Azul in the League's Cup uh, in um, in July, mid-July, um, which is going to be the, the first game of them into, into Miami in that competition. Now, all of a sudden, that competition has gotten just, again, significant uh, relevance. Uh, also because of Liga Mackies, the Mexican League. The Mexican League fans will be like, hey, you mean we want to see Club America and Chivas and Tigres, etc. But wow, we've got a chance to actually see Messi play against us, to play against uh, Cruz Azul, to play against these other teams. Uh, Same thing with Miami, they're playing against Atlanta United. In League's Cup, there's another opportunity, uh, so on and so forth. So those are my, that's my winners and and pros from this deal, Kartik. It puts MLS on the map, big time, uh, more than it, it did before. Am I missing anything here, or can you think of anything else uh, to add to that list of winners? Yeah, so um, my biggest winner, in, and again, we're taking this from a very uh, – or everyone else is taking this from a very Americanized perspective looking at the U.S. My biggest winner is Apple and MLS season pass, but it's for international signups. Remember, it's a global deal, and I bet they haven't had very many signups, uh, people signing up to pay whatever the cost is in, in the local currency or, or in the local market. Uh, MLS made a ga- uh, gambled when they took themselves off of Eurosport. They took themselves off of Sky Sports. They were on, uh, I think they were on Sony 10 in India. They, had a, they were on uh, some broadcaster in, in Singapore as well. Uh, in many of these international markets. Now, uh, it's a one-stop shop. It's very easy to find MLS matches and pay for it. I think Apple ends up being a big winner more for signups outside the United States, outside of North America, than, uh, than people have talked about. I think it, it, it makes MLS season pass a global property, which technically it was before, but it wasn't really a global player. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Kartik, because it's the, the simplicity, right? If this was a, a normal TV deal where you had, I mean, you had Fox and Univision and ESPN that had the rights to it before in the U.S., and then globally, Sky would have some rights to some games in the U.K. Uh, and then you go through each country through the world, and, and some of them would have TV deals, some of them wouldn't. So, I mean, if that was the old way of doing things that was happening now, and then all of a sudden Messi joined, now all of a sudden you have to start I mean, making calls uh, to each individual country to figure out, figuring out, okay, who's, who wants the rights, uh, negotiating, trying to pull that off in a very quick, uh, timely basis would, would be uh, very difficult. But here you have something that's already set in stone. There's only a small list of countries worldwide that do not have access to Apple's, uh, Apple's uh, MLS season pass. Uruguay is one of them, which is strange. You would think Uruguay would, would be a guarantee. Uh, China is another, another one, too, that uh, is unable to actually get MLS season pass. Maybe they'll work out those differences and get that, and get that figured out there. So people from those countries can, can can log in and watch these games. But yeah, as far as, I mean, time zones and all that stuff, you mean, all the complexities, you mean, they'll, they'll figure out a way to uh, watch the game live, even if it's in the middle of the night or middle of the morning. But this is easy, right? It's, it's relatively easy. It's just one destination to go to globally uh, where you can watch the games. If you want to watch the games, go to it. If you don't, no problem. But that's that's the thing too. In in the past, um, whenever the the topic of TV ratings have come up, and then a lot of MLS fans or journalists would say like, "Well, I think the ratings would be better if they had the game on on a Thursday night or a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Sunday night, whatever it may be. It should be at this time. No, this time." 
this bypasses everything, right? So just with like with the Premier League, there's very few excuses. People will will watch the Premier League because it's good value for for the money. It's good entertainment. It's high class soccer. Uh, for these games with Messi and into Miami, you know what I mean. They will figure out how to watch these games, and the ease of access to to do that is is really simple, uh, relatively speaking. All right, so let's look at uh, the losers, and there are some losers in this because um, there are some some negatives. Um, the first one, and I think this is the biggest one of all, Kartik, is the Spanish language television, because if you're a Hispanic in the United States alone, we're just looking at the U.S. right now. But if you're a Hispanic, uh, maybe you speak Spanish, maybe you speak a little bit of English, uh, you've relied on in the past to watch games, including Major League Soccer, on Spanish language television. A lot of games would be on Univision for free. Uh, sometimes games would be on Unamas. Um, but your coverage, I mean, has changed. Where, I mean, now all of a sudden, because MLS does not have a Spanish language television deal in the U.S. Uh, other than League's Cup, which is select games, it's not every game. All of a sudden, there's this huge hole. So if I'm if I'm one of the executives at Telemundo or Univision or ESPN Deportes, I'm banging on the door of Major League Soccer to say, "Hey, uh, you mean about that TV deal that we skipped that we weren't interested in? Uh, now all of a sudden we are interested. So so let's talk money. How can we go ahead and get some of these games?" On Spanish language television, because my big concern is that the Spanish language audience is not gravitating to MLS season pass. Is you mean it, it's it's a very English language Anglo type of you mean it, it's expensive also. So I I think that uh, that the Spanish language television stations are going to be pushing to say, hey MLS, let's figure out a way to get these games on television because those numbers. TV numbers would go through the roof, or if you want to do the the, the the actual MLS season pass, you're losing money. There's going to be a, a ton of people that will not figure out how to watch these games, or will not watch them, or will watch them illegally. Uh, but just make it easier for them to watch those games on Spanish language TV. The other part of this, Kartik, is I think English language TV uh, is missing out, is going to miss out on Messi because he does not speak English. And he does not want to learn English. And when you have an international superstar um, that speaks in Spanish, which is fine, nothing wrong with that, that does not translate well to U.S. television. So if you're a Fox, right, and you're Fox or, or you're MLS season pass in English, and you want to do an interview with uh, Leo Messi, talking about how great this deal is, how amazing it is, you know, what's it like to be in the U.S., it's going to be... It's, it's going to be subtitles. It's going to be a translator translating for Messi. And, and that's something that is not going to be like with, with Beckham, right? He, Beckham was doing U.S. television, morning news, all those shows. Right. I, I, I actually wanted to go through and maybe maybe this is the time to do it. I wanted to go through the differences between this and the Beckham signing because I think this is one of the key points. You've just raised it, uh, if, if sure. that's OK now. So I would say, yeah. first off, um, Beckham gave MLS five and a half seasons of high level play. He was hurt. Remember, he got hurt at Milan on one of the in one of the loan stints, so missed part of that uh, that season, which was the 2010 season, uh, which uh, um, uh, w- w- which hurt a bit. But uh, other than that, uh, Beckham gave. Uh, 
five and a half years to MLS and, and the league really elevated during that period. I think Messi, because of his age um, and uh, quite frankly, at times, yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've watched a fair amount of PSG. Uh, he's been very good at times and other times he hasn't. He's been kind of had nights off. I think his his skill level hasn't diminished, but maybe his fitness levels, et cetera. So I'm thinking this is an 18 to 24 month thing, not a five and a half year thing like Beckham. So all the things you just listed as positives, which I agree with. And then I added the additional global uh, sale of MLS season pass. MLS has to have something in place to transition from Messi's 18 to 24 months of high level play, uh, which again was different than Beckham five and a half. You could even say it's six years because Beckham in January of 2007 uh, had, had, signed with uh, MLS. He didn't arrive till the end of Real Madrid season. By the way, they won uh, La Liga that year, and he played a big role in it under Fabio Capello, and he came right off of that, right? Um, Messi's kind of coming off of winning the World Cup, so something similar. But uh, Real Madrid had had won La Liga with Beckham, an integral part of La Liga, of that La Liga title, came right in um, and made a contribution the latter half of that season for the Galaxy. Um, another similarity, though, was Superliga, uh, the, the, the number of eyeballs on Superliga increased with uh, the with the Galaxy uh, playing in Superliga, which was the kind of equivalent of League's Cup at the time, and Beckham being available for those matches. He scored a brilliant free kick uh, in the semifinal, and that's when we knew, oh my gosh, you know, David Beckham is here. He's in the States. Um, Same something similar with League's Cup for Inter-Miami for, for Leo Messi. Um, but I think the key difference is what you just touched on. Part of the Beckham effect was that he was able to get mainstream sports fans interested in soccer. And how did he do that? He went on Good Morning America. He went on the Today Show. He went on Stephen Colbert. It wasn't Colbert at the time. He went on David Letterman. He went on Jay Leno uh, at the time. Uh, Conan O'Brien. He went on these shows. He did the interviews. Um, You were able to do behind-the-scenes things with him. Now, streaming wasn't a a huge thing in 2007, uh, uh, from 2007 to 2012 when he was in the league, but he was able to do the mainstream television stuff and grow MLS's audience and grow soccer's footprint. I think with Messi, it's very different. And what you're trying to do now is get people who watch La Liga and the Premier League and the Argentine League and the Brazilian League already to watch MLS. I think it's very different in who you're targeting. Now, MLS, a lot of the pronouncements also from journalists is, oh, you know, this is the, this is the Beatles. This is the biggest superstar in all of global sports, which he is. Um, but I don't think he, because of the language issue and also the personality, it's not just that Beckham knew English. It's that Beckham is a showman, right? He's a celebrity. He, he, he's part of pop celebrity culture. He was more than just a footballer. Um, that was able to transcend just the soccer, football, niche fandom. Messi um, is directed at soccer, football, niche fandom, which is fine because no one better in the world to target that fandom, which is largely stayed away from MLS and watched European or South American football or international tournaments or whatever. They watch all these people who watch the U.S. men's national team and treat it like it's their club team and don't watch anything else, which I think everybody knows annoys me. Those sorts of people, maybe now they give MLS a chance because Messi's in MLS. So I, I, but I think it's, my point is, I think it's very different than the Beckham signing. Yeah, the the other part of this too is that Messi is a little bit shy. I mean, he's he's you mean kind of focused, more serious, focused on the soccer as an athlete. But you don't get to see kind of the, the Beckham side in terms of kind of the you mean somebody that's good natured who's going to like laugh or, or 
be open to doing different things uh, media-wise. Uh, I mean, Beckham, absolutely on the pitch, you mean, gave it his all, a star player, world-class player, but off the pitch was also a world-class media uh, person in terms of knowing how to work the media and work it in his favor. Now, for the Spanish-language audience, that's probably going to be fine. That's not going to be an issue. English-language audience is going to be a challenge. Uh, two things on that, Kartik, is one is I wonder if in some ways, actually, I would argue that this deal for Messi to come to Major League Soccer is bigger for the Spanish language audience than it is for the English language audience, uh, partly because of that. But in terms of his appeal to the Spanish language audience is is gigantic. And English language audience, there's an opportunity to, to really grow that, to really kind of bring new fans in that maybe are not soccer fans yet and figure out a way to get them into the system, have them buy in tickets, get them to see how, how wonderful soccer is. The Spanish language audience already knows that, right? They're, they're diehards, passionate about soccer. Um, the other part of this, which is, <laughs> this is the world we live in today, is I wouldn't be surprised if Miami was like, you know what? We need to find a bilingual soccer star uh, who can actually accompany uh, Messi on these interviews with Good Morning America, someone that's great personality, who speaks English fluently as well as Spanish, and to sit next to Messi, to actually be on Good Morning America, a star, somebody that's a great soccer star. In the past, that might have been like I don't know, Fernando Torres or, or uh, uh, Gabby Alonso or some, someone like that who could actually speak fluently and passionately and be a good good on television and then have Messi there kind of smiling and laughing and, and, and trying to get him in that way uh, into Miami might look at a player like that and think, okay, that's going to actually help our appeal to grow the game in this country. Uh, without that, it's, it's going to be a challenge on the English language side. Yeah, it is. That, that's the, just one more thing. Real, the, the, the running joke of Fox sports has been that they keep on trying to get an interview with Messi they tried in the t- 2018 uh, World Cup. They tried in the 2022 World Cup. And even though Fox Sports is, what, gigantic in terms of how much money they paid for the rights to get uh, the World Cup, you know, you're talking billions of dollars, uh, they have not been able to get a- an interview as the, I mean, the biggest uh, market in the world, in the U.S., have not been able to get an interview with Messi. That, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And so uh, just little bit of experience I've had um, around when these sorts of signings take place. So uh, Kaká signs with Orlando in 2014. He gets loaned back to San- uh, he gets loaned to Santos. He comes in uh, in in 2015 uh, to, to play for the club, and um, he came with a bunch of handlers. And he was very reluctant to do the sort of interviews American media is accustomed to. And there were a couple of problems, a couple of incidents with it. And in fact, eventually, uh, the handlers of Kaka had more power than the communication staff at Orlando City. In fact, actually, eventually, they became the communication staff, or a large part of it. And uh, that uh, is something that I anticipate will happen with Messi uh, in, uh, in, in, in his club, the Miami Fort Lauderdale club in in, uh, MLS now that he will come with handlers. There will be reluctance to do the sort of typical interviews that you do with sports personalities in the United States and with American soccer players, right? And and players that play in the U S and it was very different at the same time. Kaká came to MLS. Frank Lampard came. David Villa came. uh, uh, Andrea Pirlo came. uh, 
Steven Gerrard came and they were all kind of more accustomed to this sort of setup and they did the appropriate interviews, but Kaká was more reluctant. Um, Rewind to David Beckham coming in 2007. David Beckham brought with him uh, a gentleman by the name of Terry Byrne, who I think a lot of folks have maybe have heard of, uh, former Chelsea kit man, uh, who was the one um, who had been brought into the England setup by Glenn Hoddle, who had been Chelsea's manager before he was England's manager. And he was the one guy who was there for David Beckham when there was that horrible sending off, ironically, against Argentina, Diego Simeone, I think everybody knows, 98 World Cup. Um, but Byrne ended up being... The guy, right? He ended up having more influence and power in in booking Beckham and access to Beckham uh, than anyone on the LA Galaxy staff, quite frankly, anyone in MLS HQ. So I think when you mentioned them wanting to maybe sign a player, I think in addition to that, there will be a bunch of handlers uh, involved with Messi that uh, maybe this is inside baseball. Maybe it doesn't matter to the general fans, but for people like you and I in the business, uh, I've seen it firsthand with Kaká and with... uh, uh, with Beckham, uh, things change pretty rapidly. And the normal processes by which you get interviews or you have access to a club or access to training, all of that changes immediately, really. Yeah. And these things that we're talking about, too, are uh, a big deals because that's a part of the reason, a major part of the reason that MLS is going to be spending so much money to bring um, to bring Messi here is to grow, to basically at the end of the day, make money out of this, right? To, to basically grow this league, um, get more money from, from whether it's from television or sponsorships or merchandise or tickets, etc. This is going to blow up, uh, blow up in a, in a good way, but they need to maximize this and, and take the right steps in order to not make it a circus. And, and that's another part of my concerns about this whole deal is that it may end up becoming a circus where there's so much attention put on Messi that you mean it's out of control in terms of the way it's actually the show is going to go on where we might lose sight of the rest of the players the rest of the teams the rest of the league where all of all of it is going to be focused on Messi so much um where you lose focus of what of what this is all about. Uh, we saw that when ESPN <laughs> debuted David Beckham for LA Galaxy, and you had, I think it was on ESPN, it was live on ESPN, you had a Beckham cam. Right. So the game's going on. There's, a, there's a, actually a game We, play, we watched played. that game together, and, and, and I'll admit, because yeah. uh, there's a picture out there on the internet, I might as well come clean about it. I was so excited by the Beckham signing. I'm sitting in South Florida. I did run out and buy a Galaxy Beckham shirt. I was already wearing a kit that night, and he, he hadn't even debuted. Yeah. Um, I'm not... You know, I, my, my tastes are different now. I'm not going to do that with Messi. But um, uh, that's that's how big it was. I mean, I had already bought a oh, kit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so the game's going on, right? There's a game happening. LA Galaxy against, I don't even know who it was at the time. And uh, It was Chelsea, actually. Going on. It was Chelsea. It was a friendly. Oh, yeah. The friendly. And, and the, most of the game was spent, the camera was focused on Beckham on, on the bench. <laughs> waiting for him to move oh, oh he's getting up oh no he's just, he's just getting some water okay he's back down again oh, oh he's putting on his penny he, he's warming up maybe he'll come on nope 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 and then he came on and then all of a sudden the, the crowd went crazy and uh but yeah it was so much about the actual person rather than the game that that's my concern behind the scenes where it's it's going to be a circus with media from around the world from South America, basically fighting for any scraps of, of Messi in terms of, you mean it, it's going to be, you mean off the charts, insane to actually manage that. 
Um, but then even on the pitch too, I mean, we've, we've seen when Messi has played and whether it's uh, pitch invaders or fans running on the field to try to get an autograph. I mean, it, it could be it could be very distracting um, along the way. It's not and, the end of the world by any means. And this is a, a, an a issue for staff and coaches. So in the Beckham situation, Frankie Allop was the manager for Ipswich Town legend, right? Long time Ipswich Town player, uh, uh, Sir Bobby Robson, protege, really. Um, it was the manager of the LA Galaxy, and he was so fed up at the end of that year. He just he left, and he went to he went to coach San Jose, which was a kind of an expansion team, right? It was a team that was on hiatus that MLS had brought back after a couple seasons uh, out, uh, and you saw like this revolving door until they settled on Bruce Arena, right? Uh, Rude Hulett came in for a little bit. Alexi Lalas was the GM. Uh, they were both ushered out, and you've seen it with uh, Ronaldo and Messi. Uh, teams that that managers, with the exception of Pep Guardiola at at, uh, um, at Barcelona, don't last very long with either either player because there's some sort of uh, uh, superstar demand. There's some sort of uh, expectation on the manager. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino wanted uh, uh, Messi and Neymar to to press high. <laughs> that was something they weren't going to do, right? So Pochettino's uh, time was always numbered at PSG. So I, th- there's going to be this circus, and I don't know if MLS. Maybe they learned from the Beckham um, experience that that and from Ibra more recently, right? Because Ibra, that, but that's the big difference. Like Ibra is a larger than life personality. Uh, Messi, as you mentioned, is the opposite, right? He's very quiet. He's very reserved. But will they learn how to manage the circus? Maybe from their p- past experiences, because it will be a circus. You are absolutely right, and that has the tendency if things don't go well to turn some people off of the league. Um, and to write some very negative columns. So let's hope uh, they're going to be able to get a handle on that. All right, that's a great point there, Kartik. I want to come back to that in a second. But two, my last two negatives, um, before I forget, <laughs> are uh, stadium. So for Inter-Miami, uh, most high school football stadiums are better than Inter-Miami's temporary stadium that they have in Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale's stadium is effectively four bleachers, uh, you mean basically on one on each side, uh, maximum capacity eighteen thousand. Uh, they are talking about adding three thousand uh, temporary seats there, but still, that's not enough. And and the the setup of the stadium too, it's just not ideal for something like this. Um, that's a concern, right? And that's something they have to figure out. And last but not least, my last uh, kind of uh, kind of con or, or negative about this deal is that um, some fans, some fans uh, are going to be priced out of uh, going to see him in person. Ticket prices are not going to be able to. A lot of people are not going to be able to afford how much it's going to cost to actually uh, go to these games. Yeah, and that's actually something I think that. Um, is really important because MLS relative to other quote major leagues. I mean, I hate the, I'm obviously an open leagues, uh, uh, open system guy. So I hate the, 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 uh, major league versus minor league designation, but compared to the other major leagues in the United States is much more affordable from a, uh, ticket standpoint. And we saw the same thing when Beckham came to the league, the ticket prices spiked for, um, I mean, immediately, right? And I, I want to say even into the beginning of 2008. So it was basically like a 12-month effect where tickets were very hard to come by in some venues and ticket prices spiked and you saw a rise in attendance. And so that's uh, that's a concern to me because I think fr- family-friendly entertainment is getting more and more expensive. And this is something that I think lower division soccer in the U.S. has going for it, USL, uh, NISA, et cetera, that it's a very cheap 
price point to take a family to a game. MLS, relative to the other major leagues, is a cheaper price point. Uh, I, I mean, I tweeted earlier. It was. Yeah, it was. I tweeted earlier this <laughs> week and got some backlash, but a lot of people who agreed with me, uh, I said, look, in South Florida, there's all this big talk about, oh, the Panthers, uh, the, the Heat, they're bringing the community together. I don't think they're bringing the community together. You, you, no one can afford to go to a Heat game. No one can afford to go to a Panther game. Maybe it's bringing the top 1% together. Maybe it's bringing all the elites who jet set around together. But I don't see any discernible effect on the community. And soccer is different. Soccer is a working class game. Soccer is a game that does bring communities together and, 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 and uh, bind people together. And MLS, for all its faults, has done a pretty good job of that in, in most of its markets or in many of its markets. I shouldn't say most of its markets, but some of its markets at least. That might be a thing of the past now with, with ticket prices uh, shooting up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I said about MLS tickets now for those games that feature into Miami. You're probably talking minimum $300 for, for a cheap seat. Uh, and that prices out a lot of people uh, for one game, especially if you have a family or, or friends. So so let's, let's dive into the TV side, Kartik, because this is uh, oftentimes what this podcast is about. But I just let's start on the English language side. So imagine in, in, in I don't know, a few weeks from now, uh, Leo Messi is playing for Inter Miami and they're playing XYZ team, whoever it is, right? That game, that particular game is on Fox. Fox goes all out on, on uh, has John Strong, Stu Holden, Rob Stone, all excited. Lexi Lalas, this is the biggest thing ever. You mean that, that type of thing. So from the TV side of things, yeah, it, it's going to be Fox. It's not going to be the best coverage, but it'll be, you mean, obnoxious and exaggerated, but that's what they are. But they, but they can do it. On the flip side, if that, if that game the following week, then after that, is exclusive to MLS Season Pass, does MLS Season Pass have the talent necessary to pull it off to really give it that big game feel? What do you think? Well, I would bring Alexi Lawless in. Uh, for starters, I know some people who listen to this podcast may not like that, but I do think that there is a implication of like a big game if he's there, right? And, and uh, a lot of people criticize his analysis. I think he's actually pretty good. I mean, I disagree with a lot of his opinions, but I think he's he's actually someone with the gravitas and the stature to pull it off. I, I, and we've seen him make a guest appearance, two guest appearances, I think now on season pass on, on 360. So I, I would bring him in. I would bring in some outside talent, right? And maybe you reassign people. Maybe you have Max Bredos, who is a commentator for um, MLS Season Pass. Maybe you have him host a studio. You still have the Liam McHugh set up uh, uh, at headquarters with the 360, but him host a studio on site in, in Miami or wherever this is. By the way, uh, Max Bredo is a graduate of Coral Gables High School, so he's from South Florida. Um, so he, he would know the, the, the terrain. I think you need to kind of change your setup for those matches uh, because uh, otherwise, if you don't give it the star treatment. And this is something ESPN understood. ESPN and Disney do this better than anyone. This is something they understood uh, talking about MLS with uh, MLS Cup Finals in the 90s. This is something they understood with Freddie Adu's debut. This is something they uh, understood the first six months Beckham was in the United States. This is something they understood uh, for that uh, first uh, game, uh, Orlando City versus New York FC, where I was at the match, where Kaká and David Villa debuted, right? They understood the the importance of the moment and the superstars and giving it a kind of wraparound attention uh, befitting of, of, of a big event on television. Uh, does Apple understand this? I know Apple is the most powerful 
tech company in the world or one of the two or three most powerful tech companies in the world? Do they understand media presentation? Uh, Does MLS understand it without having a media partner that understands it? MLS has done it, but MLS has done it in the past because of ESPN or Fox or, or NBC or whoever their media partner was at the time. I, I don't know if they get if they if they quite comprehend this. So I I, I, I buy your point completely. I think it, it, that's a big big test. Yeah, I, I comprehend. I think they comprehend it, but whether they're honest enough with themselves to say, you know what, we need to bring in the big weights, kind of the heavyweights into this. Um, I'm confident. I mean, Taylor Twellman, in terms of that on the co-commentating side, uh, his partner, the lead commentator Jake Zivin, is really good really, really good, but does not have the same gravitas that a John Champion would have. Somebody that is a world-class commentator. And remember, too, people tuning into these games are going to be tuning in globally. So you'll have people from Europe, around the world, Australia, Australia, etc., tuning in to watch these games. Is Jake Sivin going to really kind of make this game feel like this is the most important game uh, of, of, of a weekend or that month or that year or whatever it may be. I don't think so. So I think um, when the other part of this, that's an issue is that because so many of the games start at seven thirty local time on Saturday nights, um, every game doesn't feel as special. They're, they're kind of all grouped together. And yes, there are some select games that are earlier in the day or sometimes on, on a Sunday. So I, I think in many ways, I think the Inter-Miami games, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually move some of these and say, hey, let's move it a little bit earlier uh, in the Florida summer summertime, which is going to be excruciating. Let's move it to I don't know, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, which is still in the 90 degree uh, temperatures and have it stand on its own have Taylor Twellman, John Champion, uh, and the crew, Alexia Lalas, guest appearance uh, to talk about this game type of thing and, and make it feel as big as possible so that everyone is watching that game at the same time rather than 7.30 Eastern on a Saturday night, local time, well, local time, not Eastern, where this, I mean, half a dozen games happening at the same time and, and people are all over the place in terms of watching it. Let, let me disagree with you slightly on that. I, uh, I, having been in the industry sort of uh, it, it, through the years, I don't think moving Zivin out for a match like that is a good idea. I think that that creates more trouble than it's worth. Uh, he has certainly earned his place. He's got a great c- camaraderie with Taylor Twelman, who of course you would have to keep as the commentator because he's the best around, uh, particularly to cover MLS. So I, I wouldn't make that move. I, lo- I love John Champion. He's one of my favorites, personal favorites, but I think you just stick with Jake Zivin, but you give the wraparound coverage I talked about, Max Bredos, Alexi Lawless, others. So that's the English side. On the Spanish language side, I would argue that MLS season pass, even though I know that Apple and Major League Soccer have invested, have invested a lot of money on the Spanish language side uh, up to now, it's almost been kind of forgotten about. It's almost been, it's, it's, for example, there's no MLS 360 uh, whip around show for the Spanish language audience. Um, you mean it's actually I, I'm not hearing much at all about the Spanish language uh, uh, commentaries or or their talent or any of that. So it's almost like they're invisible that they don't exist. And even to the degree of some clubs in Major League Soccer, when it, on social media they'll say, "Okay, our primary uh, commentary, our commentators." Our primary crew for the game this weekend 
are, and they, they'll, na- they'll name the English language uh, folks, not the Spanish language folks. So I, I feel in many ways they've been kind of cast aside a little bit. I mean, they're doing the hard work uh, week in, week out, uh, calling the games. And, and yes, they do have their own studio show, um, but it's not an MLS 360. So I feel on the Spanish language side, that that's the big that's the big question. That's the big concern. We talked before about whether or not people, that audience is going to sign up for MLS Season Pass. I don't think so. And we've seen this with ESPN+. Plus. La Liga. I think ESPN, when they got the La Liga deal, they were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. We're going to grow our Spanish language audience so much on ESPN+. Plus. I mean, fans tuning in to watch uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona, they will have to subscribe to ESPN+, Plus to watch these games. We're going to make bank, right? And the reality is, even though every single game was exclusive to ESPN+, Plus, pretty soon thereafter, uh, most of the games now are on ESPN Deportes. Because I think they felt that they it didn't work. On the English language side, yeah, people subscribe to ESPN+, Plus, no problem. On the Spanish language side, it didn't happen. And they moved those games, a lot of those games, to ESPN Deportes and have those games there. That's my same concern with uh, MLS Season Pass, is if they're not able to crack that, if they're not able to actually get the Spanish language audience subscribing to, to MLS Season Pass, then what? Those games are not on television other than League's Cup. And even with League's Cup, it's just a, a select few. So what do you do then? So I think you, you need to figure out that deal with uh, Telemundo or Univision to have those games on television, if they're willing to do it, because that, that's, that's a big deal. All right. Anything else on the MLS season pass deep dive uh, in regards to this messy deal? It's, it's amazing what one player can do. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's that's the reality of this uh, Kartik is that you I mean for the last three or four months we've been talking about MLS season pass and how much we love the service, how great it is, and fantastic production, and and really enjoying MLS three hundred and sixty and some of the features and functionality of it. And we kept on saying, okay, great. But you're missing something, and what you're missing is relevance, is, is meaningfulness. Why should I be watching these games week in, week out? Is the soccer the best soccer possible uh, in comp- competition with the other soccer out there? No. So why should I watch this game? And, and, and th- I think you and I said a few months ago, I mean, if they get a Messi, that changes everything. And this does change everything, because now all of a sudden, MLS has this platform which could be the best thing that's ever happened to them. And this signing, uh, if and when he does sign, uh, could be the best thing that's ever happened to them. And it could be a beautiful marriage where it does get the people subscribing to this service. And I'm still, I still have those concerns about the Spanish language audience if they will be able to, if they'll be able to figure out a way to get them in on this too. Yeah, I, I, I think it is absolutely a game changer for sure. Uh, that term is sometimes overused, but this is definitely a game changer. In terms of the quality of play, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's up to down to your personal preferences. You can make a case MLS is a better league than any league in the world. I think that there, it's it's people's personal opinions. I, I think MLS suffers from the time of year it's played and the travel, uh, and it, because it's the hotter months, the, the the league looks different. But if you put it, uh, if you moved it to England and played it at the same time as the Premier League, it might be a better league. I, I don't know. I have no way of knowing. So I, I think the quality of play thing is really overblown. Uh, but now they have Messi. They have this marketing tool. The one 
caveat, the one caution is, again, I think it's an 18 to 24-month thing. So if you do deals with 2DNA or, or Telemundo, as you mentioned, uh, what is the length of those deals? What is the ability to follow up after that and get the same sort of revenue or the same sort of exposure? Does MLS have to continuously have a conveyor belt of people coming in, which I said earlier in the podcast is possible because I think we're at a point, a saturation point. I follow the transfer market probably more closely than most people, uh, certainly more, more closely the European transfer market more closely than most Americans who cover uh, football, cover soccer. Um, I think we're at a point where there are very few clubs left that can afford the wages. Again, not the transfer fees, but the weekly wages of the top, top players. And some of those clubs, like PSG and Manchester City, are very noticeably pulling back. Like, if you look at Manchester City's wage bill, they're in the Champions League final now. But uh, you look at their wage bill compared to five years ago uh, when they had 100 points in the Premier League, it's much lower, believe it or not. Uh, They've cut back. PSG hasn't cut back yet, but I think it's coming this summer. That's why Messi's gone. That's why Neymar might leave. Uh, If they can move Mbappe at some point, they probably will. Um, So... I I think the opportunity for MLS to follow up on Messi and get the next one and the next one and the next one is there if they uh, generate enough revenue from this to where they they see it's justified. I mean, obviously, they have to do cost-benefit analysis on this, but they could be a major global player for superstars because um, things are changing in Europe pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, and a lot of it is uh, on the backs of Messi, right? In terms of how much money they can generate from this deal, again, tickets, merchandise, uh, etc. And then can they take that money, uh, I mean, if it's profitable, and then invest that in the game in bringing in more talent uh, to, to really grow this league? Um, you have to be a little bit careful, though, because, I mean, I'm sure Neymar, I mean, Neymar would be a player that uh, would be interested. I mean, he comes to Miami quite often to watch NBA games. I'm, I'm sure he'd love to to play play here too if he had an opportunity to. But some of these players and these wages um, specifically are astronomical and you don't want to go the NASL route, right? Uh, by having one team that's a global team that's a, a New York Cosmos uh, where you're spending tons and tons of money. Meanwhile, the rest of the league Yes, it's different, but but the rest of the league is uh, basically minnows in comparison, uh, and they're trying to spend to try to catch up, but they can't keep uh, keep up because uh, I mean they can't afford to. I mean, the benefits of the single entity is that it is more stable. However, I think Major League Soccer has to be really careful about uh, the foundation that they grow because this will grow the game. Um, but how they go about actually trying to grow the league worldwide will be fascinating to watch Kartik one more question for you uh, this is um, with this a success you mean pending success of Messi coming to uh, Major League Soccer do you think there will be uh, any lasting legacy for lower division US soccer is this going to help lower division soccer in any ways or does it hurt it that, that's a very good question. I mean, one of the things uh, that happened when Beckham signed was that the Galaxy scheduled some friendlies against USL clubs, uh, uh, two that I can think of offhand. I, I think there may have been a third. And that was um, an effort by uh, uh, the Galaxy and by uh, um, MLS at the time, which didn't, didn't seem as threatened by some of these things. Lower Division Soccer was in a much worse place then, quite frankly, uh, to – 
to, to shop Messi around North America, right? And, 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 to, and to bring uh, further audiences uh, to the Galaxy and MLS using the fact that the map, the, there weren't as many dots on the map for MLS and, and the hinterland, a lot of uh, Canada was all uh, USL teams at the time. Uh, there was just USL and MLS then. We didn't have NASL yet. We didn't have NISA yet. Uh, now, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it could help in, in Open Cup. I mean, I'm thinking from the standpoint of even the club I support, which is Miami FC, which is a USL club, uh, that uh, uh, maybe uh, since we, we've drawn Inter-Miami the last two years in the Open Cup, maybe we draw them a third straight year and, and it's messy uh, and uh, the hype is, is unbelievable. Although, I mean, we, we sold 12,000 tickets for the game this year, so um, we can't sell that many more uh, realistically in the stadium we play in. But yeah, I, I think it could help those lower division teams. I think it elevates the game of soccer. I, I, one of the things that did happen, honestly, with Beckham signing, now that, I, now that you've posed a question to me and I hadn't really thought about this before, was that there was more interest that was around the time it was uh, while, while Beckham was still with the Galaxy is when I got involved uh, and, and, and got hired by the NASL and uh, two very clear things happened one we had um, more interest in people looking for their local clubs and seeing if they had a local club that maybe not wasn't in MLS but was in NASL or USL because uh, Beckham had raised the profile of the sport uh, and NASL started uh, and the NASL breakaway from USL took place only about two years after Beckham signed uh, in LA. And then the second note was, and this may may or may not apply now because uh, the route to CONCACAF Champions League or Cup again, it's now Champions Cup once again, is uh, is a little more um, difficult than it was in those days. But we had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to get uh, lower division teams, first USL, then NASL, uh, into CONCACAF Champions League and one year uh, one of our clubs the Puerto Rico Islanders drew the Galaxy and uh, that was a huge boon just to elevate lower division soccer. And they actually beat them over two legs. Uh, Beckham didn't play, but Donovan played, Edson Buttle played. The rest of the, uh, Robbie Keane wasn't there yet, but the rest of the really high-level high Galaxy players played. Um, but that elevated the, the exposure. And we also had uh, U.S. Open Cup games against the Galaxy of, uh, for the Carolina Railhawks um, and, and others that, that helped uh, elevate. So, yeah, I think now that you mention it, I, I think it will help, uh, although um, it may help less than it did then because quite frankly there are more MLS teams and, and uh, there's uh, fewer uh, dots on the map that they don't have right that where they may want to play a friendly or they may want to have a game to showcase Messi my last point Kartik before we move on to the list of mailbag is I think magically I think we will now get some uh, MLS season pass viewing numbers from Apple <laughs> in a few months where it'll be like, oh my gosh, look how wonderfully uh, well uh, MLS season pass is doing and how many people are tuning in. Isn't this great? Uh, I think coincid- coincidentally. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Brian. Brian says, I was listening to a replay of the Portland Thorns uh, Olympic Lyon rain match from last weekend, and I really liked Tony Miola's commentary. I thought he had great insights without getting too technical. It is exactly what I'm looking for in an analyst. And I think both you and I, Kartik, are big fans of uh, Tony Miola. Um, Yeah, as an analyst, it was great. It was actually really good during the the World Cup, too, for Fox. He's really good on radio, too, so uh, I'm a big fan of his. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. 
John says, uh, very interesting comments and complete disconnect, in my opinion, on how Apple TV MLS season pass is doing. Now, this is before the, the messy news, but John continue, continues and says, I went ahead and tried to sign up for the free 30-day trial uh, for MLS season pass. It was uh, Columbus Crew against FCCC, <laughs> FCC Cincinnati. Uh, after nearly 30 minutes of trying to sign up for the trial and it not working between the TV, computer and phone we tried, we gave up and paid for a month. <laughs> uh, we haven't watched one game since then. And as I've said before, having nearly all the games on Saturday doesn't fit our schedule. So we set a reminder to cancel the script on uh, uh, the subscription on June 12th. Back to the Apple executive. It's easy to beat your metrics when you don't tell us your own metrics. And now to lower the price mid-season tells me that you're not beating last year's TV metrics. I pray that MLS has an out clause and we see next season a much improved regular sports TV type scenario. But until then, the only soccer I'm sadly watching is my home team of FC Cincinnati with my season tickets in person. Yeah, this will be interesting to see what Major League Soccer does on the TV side if they do magically all of a sudden uh, do some deals. I asked one of the MLS executives a few months ago if this was it or if there's any way any way that we could get a a late deal from Univision or Telemundo. And uh, he said, nope, this is it. This is an MLS season pass uh, available through Apple TV. And we've got Fox. Uh, it's all sewn up. It's off we go to the races. Uh, and uh, no opportunity for Spanish language uh, to come in with a late proposal. Now, I have to wonder, I mean, they have to be tr- thinking about that. But at the same time, if they do go down the, the, the path of saying, OK, all right, we'll have some games on Spanish language television. Does that cannibalize the amount of uh, signups they can get on MLS Season Pass from that community? But again, looking back at that ESPN Plus model, they might be kind of realistic and kind of saying like, well, maybe it is better to go TV on the Spanish language side uh, rather than uh, streaming. All right. Next up is Chris. And Chris says, I think uh, the addition of Bay FC to the NWSL is absolutely great. In my view, they will have a pretty big base of support from across the area that will draw big crowds uh, wherever they play. And they will be uh, able to attract high-quality college players. Uh, can't wait to, to attend an away match down there next year. Speaking of Bay FC, uh, this leads me into my question I have for you guys. With all of the expansion that's happening in the next few years, does this make the NWSL more attractive for smaller but on-the-rise broadcasters such as uh, Script Sports, uh, which is available over the air uh, on ION TV? Or the, C, or the CW, or does, D, uh, or does CBS decide to continue its commitment to the league? Kartik, you're probably best to answer that one. That's a really good question. I mean, there's some dissatisfaction with CBS among uh, people I talk to uh, in the WOSO world, but at the same time, I do think um, it's been mutually beneficial for both the league and CBS, and, and uh, CBS now has such an expansive soccer space Obviously, they can lose one or two properties and it won't matter. But I do think this is really, um, uh, really interesting. I, I should note also at the same time, Chris, uh, that uh, there was a deal this week signed between the North Carolina Co- Courage and Valley ba- Sports South. So that puts the um, 
the courage matches, which are also broadcast on, on Paramount Plus, right, onto a regional sports network. We know regional sports networks are dying, but still uh, they're there. So um, I, I, I think uh, you might see uh, smaller broadcasters who are um, uh, who, who, who have multiple platform things. Maybe they have a regional sports network. Maybe they're, uh, they're OTA. Maybe they're uh, uh, just kind of a, a free streaming service. Uh, get in uh, on the game. Um, I, I haven't, because of everything else that happened this week, I actually was going to do an analysis of that Valley sports deal. I have a, a great contacts at that club, uh, the North Carolina Courage, but just wasn't able to do it. But that's that I think is also an interesting development and means that maybe we're going to see some movement in coverage of NWSL and women's soccer in general. And uh, it's maybe a more attractive property now, particularly it's a World Cup year. So let's see what kind of bump comes out of this summer uh, with NWSL expansion, with the USL uh, League, Super League uh, going into some other markets. Maybe the time is right for other broadcasters to get in on it. And then the last comment this week is from uh, Martin about the CONCACAF Champions League uh, in light of uh, LAFC, uh, the best team in MLS, uh, losing to uh, Club Lyon over those two legs. Martin says, I I have to get this off my chest. Why can't MLS people see that they will never beat Liga MX uh, with any regularity with a 30-plus team league? The talent is simply too scattered for many well-balanced teams. They're going up against a league where the talent is concentrated in 18 teams. This is simple math and logic, in my opinion. This dilution is also why I don't find MLS that attractive. And if MLS gets to 40 teams, it needs to have promotion and relegation within their own pyramid. Lastly, thanks for calling out the Colorado Springs switchbacks a couple of shows ago. They are my local team. And since they added a German player this year, I have attended matches. Haha. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point about um, Liga MX, Kartik, and uh, MLS. I think I, th- I think MLS is probably looking at this thinking, okay, well, maybe Inter Miami is that team, right? Maybe we'll build a, um, a super team, like right? A global team with star players that will go ahead and, I mean, maybe next year win the MLS Cup, but... Uh, you mean at some point in time in the next couple of years have an opportunity to go far in the CONCACAF Champions League, maybe win it, who knows, uh, do another Seattle Sounders. And then, you mean, when it comes to the Club World Cup, you mean, maybe battle with the big boys. Um, the, the, the irony, I, w- I want to mention this too, Kartik, because um, you brought it up a couple of times and I, I keep on forgetting to mention it, is you mentioned that the Messi deal could end up being a deal that's, you mean, 18 to 24 months type of deal. Uh, the irony is is that the new stadium that they haven't broken ground on yet, they haven't started uh, building yet uh, in Miami, that's going to be a state-of-the-art stadium. By the time it's actually done, which is probably more likely to be 2026, by that point, Messi may have actually finished his playing career and would be involved in the club in terms of more of a, you know, a director of football uh, level or, or something of that sort. Um, so that that's the concern with Miami is not having a stadium, not having a stadium... They have a temporary stadium that's not even in Miami. Uh, that'd be like uh, Liverpool having a stadium that's in Manchester. You know, it, it just it's um, that that is a concern. Hopefully, they figure out a solution for that. At least, even if, even if it's temporary. 
But going back to Martin's comment, any any feedback about uh, CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, I think it's tough for MLS also because of their calendar. I mean, I, I, I keep coming back to this, which is I think the calendar misalignment does more damage to MLS and to U.S. soccer in general. This is why USL is considering flipping the calendar. And with the uh, S-League, uh, Super League, the new women's first division they're launching to compete with NWSL, I, I think we may have discussed this on the podcast already. Uh, they have decided to just go right away with the with the traditional European calendar uh, for that league. Uh, it, it, because I think that there's a problem with aligning transfer windows. There's a problem with competitiveness in international tournaments. So it's one of those things where I, I, I don't get all obsessed with MLS losing these games to Liga Emekis or Seattle losing in the World Club Cup because I think the calendar is misaligned. This is another thing why I don't like comparing MLS to European leagues. You said earlier, oh, uh, MLS is quality of play. I, I don't know. I think it's, it's based on when they play and where they play that uh, the quality of play may look different or the, 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 the game may appear different than it does in, in Italy or England or, or, or Argentina when they're playing in, in cooler climates and in, 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 at a better time of year. So um, I think that the, the calendar creates all of these other problems where we're questioning MLS, where I think they might be much, much more competitive if the calendar were flipped. Yeah, that that's the reality to me. That, that's the bottom line of this whole thing. So I, I'm really excited about Messi coming to Major League Soccer. Uh, really excited about uh, what MLS has been able to pull off. Um, Don Garber should probably think about retiring uh, on a high. I mean, it's a huge achievement to be able to come together with a deal that is more convincing than, than the deal from Saudi Arabia, which was a lot more money to get him to come to uh, the United States. Fantastic. However... This does paper over the cracks because if Messi didn't come didn't come to the United States and decided to go to Saudi Arabia, then I, I wouldn't I could foresee MLS making changes next year, saying, okay, let's actually change the calendar. Let's do a, a split season or let's do uh, change things around in terms of the playoffs. Let's let's structure it more where rather than sixty percent of the teams, maybe it's I don't know. 40% or whatever the system they came up with. Now that Messi's on board and is going to be on board soon, um, I think those go out the window. It's like, okay, let's put those to the side. Those are some great ideas. But we have to now focus all of our attention on how do we maximize into Miami and Messi and build the foundation to grow this because that's the most important thing now. So by Messi coming here, actually, it does set back uh, all of the great ideas and discussions about how to prove MLS because Messi papers over those cracks with Messi on board. Everything looks amazing. Uh, without him, there are issues that need to be addressed that probably will not be addressed for many, many years. And by that point, maybe it'll be too late. Yeah, and Messi um, is not the type of guy that will rock the boat, right? So he's not going to question. He's not going to come out like Ibra and say, ah, oh, well, you know, maybe the level isn't so great. Or maybe we should be playing in uh, uh, in November instead of playing in, in uh, the heat of summer and in, in when uh, it's 100 degrees out, 100 degrees Fahrenheit out. He's not the type to rock the boat. Um, and uh, like Beckham, for all his, we talk about his great personality, he was very much also a company man, right? So th there will be no onus or pressure on them to change. And in the long run, it could hurt them in terms of their competitiveness. Um, so 
that's uh, that's something we have to consider. That's something we have to be very, very uh, concerned about long term. I mean, I, there are countless people who have come to MLS, who have played in MLS, who are European players. And I shouldn't say countless. It's still a handful who've talked to me directly. But there are a handful who've talked to me directly, who've expressed the issue of the calendar and said that is and kind of reinforced. I already came from a biased position, I admit, but have reinforced my view that unless the calendar is changed, MLS can't be competitive. And it to a certain extent, U.S. clubs can't be competitive, and and uh, we're never going to have uh, fulfill our potential as a soccer playing nation. So, um, and it's different for Canada; their climate's different. I, I get that. Part of the problem is having Canadian teams in our league. So, uh, this is a conversation to be continued for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to remember too, Kartik, that the reason that the calendar is the way that the calendar is here in Major League Soccer is because when MLS was founded and launched. Uh, most of the stadiums, most of the owners were NFL owners. So they looked at this as an opportunity to go ahead and have uh, people coming into the stadiums in the NFL offseason. Right, but they're going back to that now. I mean, they, Charlotte, Atlanta, uh, uh, they're, they're going to be playing in a big football stadium in San Diego. So I, I, they had gotten away from it. I mean, okay, so last point on Beckham. One of the great things that Beckham was able to do is by coming here, he was able to create the momentum to where the clubs that were still stuck in football stadiums got out of football stadiums and got into soccer-specific stadiums. Beckham had a lot to do with that. I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, and, and you know, obviously MLS, MLS management, because uh, uh, Garber, etc., Mark Abbott, uh, Nelson Rodriguez was still at MLS at the time. Those guys are top, top executives, and they were able to take advantage of it and go to local communities and go and get the, the stadium deals done. Um, now we've seen regression. We've seen teams back in football stadiums, and then that limits what you can do with the calendar. Um, New England was never solved, but that, that was once when Beckham left MLS, I believe that was the only team still playing in a football stadium. I guess Seattle, but that's kind of a different situation. Now it seems like we're going back in the other direction where t- uh, clubs are being accommodated and playing in football stadiums and just opening the lower bowl of those stadiums and having to, to schedule around. We didn't have this NYCFC situation at the time either, uh, ground sharing with baseball. Uh, so that's, that's another thing. Let's see how Messi impacts that. Great points, as usual, from Kartik. And listeners, we want to get your great points, too. We want to read those out on air. Uh, There's a bunch of different ways you can reach out to us. Uh, Voicemail. Leave us a voicemail, 561-247-4625. Send us an email, web at worldsoccertalk.com. Go to our website, worldsoccertalk.com. Click on podcasts and then leave a comment in the most recent uh, episode in the comments section. Uh, facebook.com slash world soccer talk you can uh, send us a message there as well as twitter at world soccer talk and i think that covers about everything oh yeah youtube youtube.com slash world soccer talk you can post comments there in the uh, podcast Uh, we release all of them there on youtube as well as uh, interviews etc and some video footage so kartik uh where can listeners find your Substack? what's it called and where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter, KKFLA737, uh, Substack, uh, beyondthe90.substack.com, uh, which uh, features writing on soccer from all over the world, a lot of emphasis on Florida and lower division soccer. I, uh, um, The theme of World Soccer Talk, have to say uh, our colleague and friend Daniel Feuerstein today has an article criticizing Fox Sports coverage of soccer. So I think a lot of listeners of the podcast might want to check out the 
Daniel's article, and I have not put that article behind the paywall, so uh, it's free for everyone to access, beyond90.substack.com. Awesome. All right, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back uh, early next week with another episode. What a crazy week it's been. Kartik, on uh, looking ahead to this weekend, there's, there's some big games this weekend too, uh, as always, but what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.